everybody, it's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Hey, Bush for Fagman. Breakaway. Wow, Jesus. Bullshit Breakaway fans, welcome to the Little Bullshit Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan. We're both of The Athletic, and we're both great guys. All right, Greg, say hello. You have no evidence to suggest that's actually true. Though. I don't have any evidence on that. But uh, this week on Bush Breakaway, we have our good friend Shayna, uh, who comes on has a long conversation about the Rangers' contention window, along with Georgiev's and, and uh, Tony D'Angelo's contract. But for right now, Gregory and I will talk about the most important thing in sports, and that is the Rays are going to the World Series, baby. Let's go. It's going to be against the Dodgers. We're probably going to lose. It's going to be super sad. All right, and that was talking uh, baseball with Ryan. There you go. Uh, I have never in my life hijacked the opening of this show to not talk about the Rangers. <laughs> never once. Never one time. Never once. Uh, it, I Rem- remind me to remind me to tell you about my two absolutely heartbreaking gambling beats this weekend, though, because that is. Uh, we'll get to that right before we're five. I'm, I'm finding I'm finding new ways to do it, Ryan. It's fantastic. I sometimes you're so impressive at that stuff. It's like I don't know how he does it. You know, you just look back in awe, like wow, Gregory. Yet yet again, unbelievable. Just stuff. incredible. Yeah, just incredible. Just get yourself out there. Um, lo- not too much Ranger news. Pretty peaceful weekend. Um, Georgie, I've extension. We talked a little bit about with Shayna, but we'll hit it here again. Um, your thoughts on it, Gregory? I, I mean, I like it a lot. I, I like Georgiev, big fan, and I don't understand the hate against him. It's not like he purposely kicked Hank out the door at all. Uh, like it a lot feels like a strong opinion. I don't think it. I honestly don't think it's worth a strong opinion. I don't. I don't know what everyone else was expecting. I understand the people who are angry that Georgiev wasn't traded at the deadline um, and that Hank left mostly because Georgiev Georgiev is still here. But the more I think about it, and I I was thinking about this last week a little bit Mm -hmm. at the time that the deal was announced, I think it's worth revisiting a little bit. Okay. I, I, I think it's, it's one part the Rangers like him, so they weren't just going to give him away. Facts. But I, I, I think the larger part that a lot of people are, I don't know if they're forgetting or willfully ignoring, there weren't exactly a lot of dance partners for goalies this last season. We we said the Leafs because it was so clear that they needed another goalie, and it was so clear to the Leafs that they needed another goalie that they went out and got one. Um, and it might – Jack Campbell – while maybe Ranger fans think Jack Campbell is worse off than Georgiev, it's also important to remember the Leafs thought they were getting an important bottom six player in that trade too and Kyle Clifford. I'm not saying Kyle Clifford is any good. I'm not trying to imply that Jack Campbell is better than Georgiev, but it's not. it doesn't take a, a, a scientist to figure out that the Leafs did that deal because it's a deal they liked and the Rangers obviously must have had a higher price on Georgiev. And then you... You think outside of that, just think of the think of the teams we were trying to trade Georgiev to. The and, Ottawa Senators was one of them. Well, yeah, but the, and the Senators smartly at the time weren't looking to give up an asset for a goalie, and then this offseason they gave up an asset for a goalie that they are confident will be their starter for a long time in Matt Murray. And I, you and I would probably hold Matt Murray in lower regards than some of the hockey elite would but he's got 
two Stanley Cups to his name. He's got a reputation. Still would rather have him it's than George Gev, yes, big time. Yeah, it's it the Senators felt like they were acquiring a superior player. Uh we we talked a lot about the San Jose Sharks, who were butt, absolute butt last year. <laughs> Terrible. So they and it, it, it's and then this offseason, they went out and tried to find another quote unquote established guy to address their goalie situation. And again, I think Yorgiev is better than Devin Dubnik, but we're dealing with the NHL and reputations. So it's you have to consider the people that would be trading for these guys. So, yeah, I think it's part that the Rangers didn't trade Yorgiev because they like him. I just I don't think he had a market. And I think every team that had a long-term goalie question coming into this offseason, they understood a lot of things. And they understood that this year's market was going to just be oversaturated with goalies. Jacob Markstrom, Braden Holtby, Robin Leonard, Marc-Andre Fleury if you wanted to pay him, Devin Dubnik, Matt Murray, Georgiev or Hank. One of them was going to be available. All these guys were available. Who? Corey Crawford, Corey Schneider, all of these guys. Who was going to give up a meaningful asset for a goalie? There's just too many available. So, yeah, I, of course, I don't think any of us would ever sit here and say I'd rather have Georgiev than Hank. I just don't think that's the point. The Rangers like Georgiev. They couldn't – but that, that doesn't mean they wouldn't have traded him if the price was right. The price was never right because nobody ever had to give anything up for a goalie. No, I think if Gordon so got I, offered a first or even like a high second, Georgiev wouldn't be here. Yeah, I think the Leafs gave up, what, a third for Campbell and Clifford? Yep. I don't think the Rangers would have traded Georgiev for a third. I'm not saying they should have or shouldn't have. Maybe they should have. At the same time, we saw what the Rangers did with a second first and a second round pick this year. It's not exactly something to write home about. So I I don't know. I just I I, I want to get past the point of people being like, well, Hank's not here, so this contract stinks. We've only saved $550,000 on this deal. I still don't think saving money was the point of the Henry no, buyout. Hank was gone. Because I, he wanted to yeah, leave. If, I still think if Hank told Davidson that he wanted to stay, the Rangers would have found a way to make it work. But I don't know. Some people don't want to hear that. Some people just want to be mad. So let them be mad. Let them be I, mad. The Georgiev deal, if you told me he was going to sign for 2.45 uh, when the pandemic started, I would have thought that was a little low. So I agree with you. Two-year deal. It's a two-year deal. He's a solid backup. It's not a long-term deal. It's cheap enough where if the Rangers want to trade him at any point in time, they can trade him and probably wouldn't even need to eat money on the deal. He's gonna. He's not going to be an unrestricted free agent at the end of that two years. So the Rangers will have two more years of evidence to decide if this is a guy they need to invest in long-term or a guy they need to move on from. I don't understand why anyone would be mad about it. It seems inflappable to me. There you Unflappable. Go. Flappy boys. Un- in- the Rays. The Dodgers. Flap, flap. Flap 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 baby. Please don't get swept. Please, for the love I swear, of God. I swear to God, if you win a World Series title before I do, I'm, I'm gonna have it. I'm <laughs> gonna have issues. <laughs> You're rooting for the Dodgers of Chase Utley fame? Well, no, to be fair. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> Chase Utley, like, like I honestly forgot that I my hatred for Chase Utley goes beyond him it's so a much, baseball team. It's so much bigger than that. Uh I don't know. I do there's a part of me that feels like the Dodgers are kind of owed, you know. Think, I, think about it. I, I go do go back. I thought I was so hoping it would be the Braves because there's part of me that's like, I kind of want. The Braves, the Braves are also beatable. Right. The Dodgers are not as much beatable. 
Yeah. Like, it, dude, if you go, uh, we didn't have a podcast back then. Nope. But we, there were conversations we had in our Facebook group at the time where you guys were asking me, who do you want to play in the World Series? And I think I said the Blue Jays because my exact words were, I get this feeling that the Royals just don't die in baseball games. Yes. And that's exactly what the Royals did in the World Series. Uh, but think, think about this from the Dodgers' perspective, going back to 2015. They lost to the Mets, who won the National League pennant. They did. In 2016, they lost to the Cubs, who won the World Series. Yeah. In 2017, they lost to the Astros. Yeah. In 2018, <laughs> they lost – no. Yeah. 2017, they lost – What? 2017 and 18, they lost to the Astros and Red Sox, right? Yeah. I forgot which Correct. order. Yeah, Red Sox was 18. Uh, 20, 2019, they lost to the Nationals. So, like, five straight years, these guys have lost to either the World Series winner – or the National League champion. So it you get to a point where you just kind of want them to win themselves. And now you just got to lose some flappy boys. That's all. That's I'll it. just say, I'll, I'll just say, I'll ne- I'm, I'm going to hold a grudge against the Boston Red Sox for the end of time. Not just because they traded Mookie Betts, but because they traded Mookie Betts to an organization that could extend Mookie Betts. And as, as the son of a stupid rich... 10 times over billionaire now mm-hmm. uh, I wanted your I would I would have liked Mookie Betts yeah that makes <laughs> really brave for you to say that Gregory <laughs> I, know, I know I know I I will I, say that I anytime uh, the any, second best player in the sport uh during game six and seven a couple of our friends were up here this weekend and anytime George Springer came to the plate I was like that's future Met great baby he's coming oh, home oh my god I hate George Springer and I hate all the Astros. All right, let's. That's uh, fine. George Springer gonna be great in City Field, baby. Let's uh, let's get back along to with JT Realmuto, along with Marcus Stroman again. Gonna be very along interesting. with Steve Cohen Trevor, and all his money. Trevor Bauer gonna be tough for you. Um, no, nah, Trevor, come on, Trevor. Trevor's going somewhere else, man. He's probably he's, going he's to, gonna do his own. He's probably gonna be a Yankee. Enjoy everybody. Yeah. Um, all right, let's and get. Still won't win. Get back to it. Um, we talk about Tony D'Angelo pretty extensively with Shayna, so we could skip that for right now. Why is it that Hank? Well, uh, I think I think we should we should talk about right, it a little bit. Let's touch it. Also, on remind me at the end of the pod. I want to talk about Charlie Morton with you. Okay, we could do it. Um, love Charlie Morton. Tony. Yes, Tony. The watch your Tony account we, attacking I, me. You know what? Yeah. This, this isn't even going to be long. It's just going to be us mentioning it, right? Yep. Just he signed. So yep. play him on the left. I I we can't. The argument doesn't even need to be made anymore, right? No, you can't play Tony on the the third line. Right hand defenseman. No, you no. You're paying him that much money. You, it's 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 twofold, right? You are paying him enough money where he needs to be in higher leverage situations, but you're also you want to put him into higher leverage situations to see if he can improve on his play from last year. Absolutely. There's only one way to do. Th- there's only one way to do that, and what? that's by playing him in the top four. And the only way he's going to play in the top four is by playing him on his offhand. So just fucking play him on his offhand. Why is happen. this so hard? It has to happen. And I, I it had to be a part of the I just I've never understood why it's so hard. Because I, I really don't know. I well maybe uh Mr. Marty Jocks will change that and be like, well, we're not doing this anymore. We're doing it's this like, Jack Johnson style. It's like um for years, there's just this assumption that left-handed hitters can't hit left-handed pitching, right? Mm-hmm. So more often than not, when you're platooning a player, you're platooning them because of uh it feels like the left-handed hitter gets platoons more than the right-handed hitter right mm-hmm. one because there are more righties in the league than lefties but two it's because there's just this preconceived notion that lefties can't hit lefties but we've seen 
countless of examples of where that's just not fucking true. Conforto can hit lefties. Um, Dom Smith can hit lefties. We don't need to platoon these guys anymore. So why in the NHL are the Rangers still feeling like, well, if he shoots right, he's got to play right. Doesn't make sense. There are countless of examples. TJ Brody's a left-handed shot who plays on the right. And the Maple Leafs are going to pay him a lot of money. And the Calgary Flames were playing him in high leverage situations. Uh, everybody loves Mackenzie Weger these days. He's a righty shot who plays on the left-hand side and does so successfully. Like, it's it's not uncommon. It's not unheard of. Just do it. Tony's weakness is his play in his own zone. So it's put him in situations where he's, one, playing with someone that can help not even mask, just overcome his defensive deficiencies. And two, give him more ice time because if you're going to tell me he's a, his his best value is his offensive game, then play him more offensive minutes. I just it's it's so simple and it makes so much sense that it frustrates me that it hasn't happened yet. Just it doesn't make the the argument against doesn't make any sense to me. It it I agree with you totally. I can't even speak on it more. That's it's literally it doesn't make sense. Um, anything else we want to get touched on before we get to Shanna? Come back to some five star questions. I think that's really it. For this um, week. I did see the report out today from non blue marks on the Twitter that Lemieux is getting close to a deal, might oh. be around one point five to two million dollars. That makes sense. But that's fine. I mean, it is. It is what it is. Yeah. I personally wouldn't pay him that much money, but I just I don't believe in. What, what, I, he draws penalties, right? Big time. He doesn't. He doesn't play defense. Doesn't He's not really, exactly great. Doesn't offense really create offense. Not really a thing. He'll have like it really is, random like so. dive the net goals where it's like, what was he doing there? I don't think he meant to score, but, yeah. <laughs> but he did. That's really right. Cool he plays the game with an edge. Well, that's best. what that's what the Rangers need. Grit. We've, we've, yeah. th- we've talked about it, and uh, I, I think- will, but, and, but we've talked about this too. If you're gonna have grit, at least let it be. Brandon Lemieux could also kind of play hockey. Yes, he can play so. hockey. Um, what if, uh, or rather, what do you think that, not what if, do you think that Strom escapes the witching hour before arbitration and ends up signing a deal with the Rangers? Yeah, I'd be surprised if it's more than one year. Me too. I think one year is kind of what they're arguing about one or two years. I think one is the end all be all, but we've kind of said that already on the show. Yeah. All right. I think, I think more, we've put Tony in fantasy trades before. Strom legitimately feels like one-year deal, and he will not be a Ranger by the end of the season. Yeah, Tony, I don't know when the trade will happen, but I know that Ryan, if Ryan Strom ends the 2021 season as a New York Ranger, I will be very surprised. Same. All right. With all that said, let's get to our friend Shayna. We'll come back to some five-star questions. But first, a word from our sponsors, Transition. Hey, we're back with our first and only guest of the day. It's Shayna Goldman. She is our coworker and good friend. Shayna, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Doing um, well. It's You know what was interesting about Twitter today? Said nobody ever. <laughs> Said literally no one online in the history of the internet. Um, I didn't see anybody mad about the New York Rangers. Was this the first? There's still time. I know. Mm, there's still time. But I didn't see anybody the whole single day. It was, you know, the Doc retirement tour, which was great. Mm-hmm. Legendary stuff there. A lot of fun. But really no negative vibes, good vibes only on the Twitter.com today in Ranger World. What do you think is the next bad thing that happens to New York Rangers that sets everyone aflame again? Is someone going to like breathe and be like, 
I don't know, utter a player's name. Like I, you could just say Jack Johnson and everyone's going to be like, ah, so. ah, I'll do it right now. I'll tweet it right now. I'll just tweet Jack Johnson during this and we'll see what happens. I'm going to try and set it off. All right. Um, I, we are the last chip we're sort of waiting to fall at this point is the Strom contract, which I believe will either be coming this week or we will actually go to arbitration uh, in that case. But we did uh, over the weekend uh, get two more contracts signed by the New York Rangers, the Georgiev contract at two years also, and the Tony D'Angelo contract also at two years. Um, what were your initial reactions to both of those um, contracts, the value, the term? Did anything surprise you? Hit me with it. Um, do you want me to go first, Greg, or you want to get... Oh, no, I was directly Uh-oh. asking you, Shana. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm, just, Greg, I'm Greg, just making sure. Greg and I discussed that in the open. Okay. He doesn't know um, that yet, but we did. <laughs> okay, so Gergiev, uh, it's an interesting deal. It's, I think my feeling when it like went up was that um, maybe people thought it was going to be more expensive than it was, um, which would have made total sense. Uh, they're really not saving that much between like his signing and the buyout. So it, it, to me, you look at that and you can tell that the buyout really wasn't about like the dollars and cents of it because they could have traded him, but probably felt the trade market wasn't right. Um, it's a short-term deal. I, you know, we don't know like when the season's even going to start. And I think that's where like when it's going to start, how many games it's going to be, how condensed he could have a heavier workload than maybe we anticipated, which maybe that boosts his trade value and changes something for the Rangers. Or maybe he shows that he could work as a tandem with Chester in longer term, which like, I don't see happening because I think both of them want to be starters, yep. but you know, it, it's fine. It, it works for now. It's nothing crazy. So agree. Do you I, have any- I, I, I think the, the value, I, I saw people being like, it's a tad high in value. And I just didn't really understand that. Um, may, I know I personally overrated, overrate Georgiev as a goalie. Um, I think he's probably better than average, or that's me being Homer. Um, I think saying we have like one of the most cost-effective duos in the league or t- goalie tandems in the league isn't really hyperbole at this point. Um, but it's not exactly like the best tandem in the league. The guys are still unproven, both of them. Like even though Igor looked like a, a monster in the what like eleven games he played, he still has a lot to prove in the NHL. And consistency is key when you're a goalie, and everybody knows that at this point. Um, so with Georgiev, I, I thought it was a great signing. I thought it's a value contract. I didn't think it was overpriced, and I was surprised to see a lot of people being like, I don't really like this contract, or it was overpriced, because I just didn't feel like that was the case whatsoever. Yeah, no, that's, eh. it's not, it's, it's, it's too, it's not a, it's not an, it's not like a big enough deal to have an opinion on, I feel like, you know, like, and that's not, that's not meant to be a knock on him. It's just like, you look at the contract and the value, and it's like, it's fine. If you want to put it in the context of Henrik Lundqvist and everything that went down there, mm-hmm. you can. Because if you do see Lundqvist play 40% of the games and he's fine with that in Washington and you see it's a $575,000 difference between having Georgiev plus Hank's buyout versus Hank, you can have that argument. You know, that's completely fair because that you're, it's, it's more going on than just the contract signing. You put it aside, though. It really isn't that big of a deal. I mean, like, it's a contract. It's movable if they need it to be. It's effective if they need it to be. Just Erkins on his entry-level contract. It works. It's fine. You know, what were they going to do? They, they, it, didn't, it didn't become more than it needed to be. And they can see where it goes from here. You never really know because you're working with Benoit Allaire who can take goaltenders and make them outstanding. And he really has done a great job boosting Gurgiev's value and making him so important to the Rangers. And with Shesterkin, the expectations are rightfully high, but like 
you do need to have some insurance. This is going to be his first full year at the NHL level. So it'll be interesting to see. Like, it's fine. Like you said, it's, they're very cost-effective tandem. And for this team, that, that has to be the priority when you have so much cap space tied up in buyouts that you don't have that freedom and also the flat cap. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I really am interested to see with Georgiev um, is his value that he actually gets back in the future. Because I do think he's still going to be on the trade block. And I think all these players that are going to be re-signed here will be still sort of quote-unquote trade bait over the next two years. Like we've heard over and over again, like they love Georgiev and they wanted to keep him. Um, it's obvious at this point that the it was pretty amicable between them and Hank and going to make sure he was a starter or had a chance to be a starter somewhere else because he didn't have a chance here. But with Georgiev, I'm not really sure what his value is moving forward. Like, will, will he be a second? Will he be a third? Will they trade him in, at not this deadline, deadline but the next? Um, or if he's going to be legitimately competing for a starter spot because Igor, like I said, has 11 games. They've crowned him the starter. It's very clear that they want him to be the future. Um, but I guess maybe they kept Georgiev to push him at this point. So I don't know what Gordon's planning, but it does seem like these short-term contracts, with whether it be Georgiev, whether it be Tony D'Angelo, whatever they do with Ryan Strom, it does seem like he's setting up for yet another big trade deadline sell um, as his like kind of last hurrah sell the team before they push into, quote-unquote, the window. That, that makes sense. Well, well I, don't, I don't know about that, actually. I think... Like, sure, there's some strategic advantage on Gordon's side to keep all these contracts short. Mm -hmm. But I think there's more motivation right now on the player's end than ever before to just not sign a long-term deal. There's no mm -hmm. money in the game. The cap isn't going up. Why would Georgiev want to sign anything beyond two years when term's not going to get him more dollars? And there's just no – there aren't enough available dollars in the NHL right now and free agency right now for any of these guys – to want to sacrifice additional years. Like no one's gotten two, what two free agents got above $5 million. It was just Petrangelo and Hall and Hall had to take a one year deal to do it. Didn't, so, didn't Montreal do, do, do something. Hold on. Let me just check. But Tifoli, I, I don't think Tifoli, I did to fully. It, it was, it was much lower than I think anyone expected. Okay. Yeah. So we were talking about to fully getting like what, seven, eight, and did he even get five? I thought he. I thought he got like. What did Josh Anderson four get? Changed? Now that Josh I... Anderson got seven years, and he got was it? I think it was five point five. Five, something like that. Yeah, something like that. But no, like it, the the money, like it, even if you like set aside the money for a second, the term was not there in free agency for anyone this year. It's I'm actually like working on something like before we were doing this podcast. I am working on like trying to add up contracts to compare from past years, and. The term just is not there for anybody. You look at it, they went a free agency. There was one seven-year contract signed. There was one six-year contract signed. And then if you go into the second day, like, it's just not there. You know, teams are not signing these crazy lengthy deals because it doesn't make sense for them because they don't have assurances that everything is going to go back to normal as soon as everyone might hope. And they don't need to screw themselves and then have to dig out of a hole that they just dug themselves out of. And then on the other hand, it doesn't make sense for the player. So like, it seems like it's like the one time everyone kind of agrees, like we need to make things work on a short-term basis as much as possible. And I guess with Anderson, they were like, well, if we sign him short-term, maybe it will boost the cost long-term. They could have looked at it like that and been like, and then we right. were paying him at the wrong time. But it just doesn't make sense for like, 
anybody right now. So it's, you know, what, what would Georgiev have gotten long-term? Like they would have looked at him and been like, well, it's not going to happen period. Because like, you would not. Igor exists too, no matter what. Yeah. Yeah. And they just don't have the money and they don't know if they'll have the money. And then they don't know how much entry-level costs will, you know, when those expire, what it'll cost. So there's like too many things like, and it wouldn't have made sense for him. He would have been shooting himself in the foot. What if he has this unbelievable year and he goes to a team that needs a one, a one B goalie, like, he could make a lot more money and it could be more lucrative. Yeah. Well, I believe in Georgiev. I think he's a solid backup and like a lower quality starter with possible higher ceiling. If that, if he gets the chance, it just won't be as a New York Ranger unless Igor gets hurt, um, which we're hoping that doesn't happen. I guess let's move on to Tony D'Angelo at this point. Uh, I, a lot of the rumors were above five, uh, five million for Tony D'Angelo came in at, at a 4.8, um, just below the 5 million. I think this is a pretty valuable contract for the New York Rangers. Um, a third pairing, or especially if they move to the left, um, I think there's going to be a lot of value for Tony D'Angelo. I, I, that third pairing is still going to scare me at this point, no matter really what happens. But I know that this is a player that is divisive. It has a lot of, uh, I don't even know how to go about this, but you know exactly what I'm saying here. But that contract for that player is tremendous. And the New York Rangers and I think Gordon got a hell of a deal when they signed him. Um, that's fair. Like if okay, focusing on the on ice stuff. Correct. Strictly on ice speaking. Correct. Before we get into anything else, because I think arbitration. Before Tony's brother tweets at me and we go back and forth again. Yes. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> oh, uh, what's it called? If they went to arbitration, things would have gotten a lot worse. And you see situations with players and teams get really dicey after that because they're literally there to tear each other apart and the whole process is terrible and with a player like D'Angelo there is a lot of ammo for the team to use when you just look at social media alone and then if you look into his past so there is that and he might show growth in the locker room I'm not saying that he doesn't but it's there and it exists so it works for him that it didn't get to that point because I don't think anybody wanted it that they ruin their relationship between each other right there. I'm unsure they can actually use that stuff in arbitration. I'm, I'm not sure of the exact rules and I am not a lawyer. So please don't quote me. Um, <laughs> Everything. Yes. And allegedly. analytics can be used too, that's, which is the funny thing. That's exactly. That is the funny thing. And I think that was the more damning point against D'Angelo's case, his actual defensive analytics comparatively. Like I know the big, the big point for D'Angelo is, Hey, 54 points. That's awesome. Um, and he was one of the best offensive defensemen in the league this year. There's no doubt about it. But when it comes to actually playing defense, there are some parts where he does struggle. Yeah. Like, you can look at it, and I know everyone will be like, oh, these are just numbers, blah, blah, blah. Like, you watch the game to get these numbers, and someone like, um, someone that tracks them will see that his zone exit numbers are not very good, and he's not, or that he's not good at defending entries against. That's that. That's important for a defenseman to do. And the Rangers system is what it is, and we do know that, but you still have to, you know, how does he do it within the system? Does he stop him after the fact? And there's there's flaws there. And then you can look at his transition game on the other side of the ice and go, well, he's great at entering the zone. And that's something that this team did struggle with for a while. And they were trying to go with the dump and chase, and they weren't able to gain possession and maintain it. And he helps that. So Numbers and analytics actually help him with both sides of it because it can show, hey, I don't just score, I drive play. Look at how different the power play is or how different anything is with or without me on the ice or the passing, anything like that. So the thing with his contract, though, um, they might look at it and have concern about 
whether this is the player he is and is going to be because maybe they're questioning his stability year to year. You know, when he first came to New York, he didn't get a shot. Maybe that I I, I would argue it was unfairly he didn't get a shot. I agree. Um, they knew what they were getting when they signed when they traded for him, and he went to Hartford. He didn't play well. He obviously, when he got his chance up here, I remember correctly, he got injured. And then when Quinn took over, it was this push and pull between the two of them where you could see if anybody is going to get the best out of him, it seemed like Quinn was the right person to do it, you know, in terms of Rangers coaches at all levels. Quinn and him, it seemed like there was that right amount of, I believe in your skill and I'm going to be a hardest because you seem to really need it. Um, So to see it evolve into what it did this year is definitely encouraging for him. He can repeat this the team would obviously be more inclined to want to invest in him or other teams trade for him. But I think the thing with it is too, they had one season of him playing at this level, this level that was hoped of him from the time he was, you know, before he was drafted, this was his ceiling or, you know, his ceiling is higher than this. You really got to see it on a consistent basis for the first time because last year it was there. You saw a lot of glimpses of it, but I don't think that you could say, honest God, oh my God, he's where he needs to be. It's There still are a lot of kinks to work out. And it seems like they're getting there. But the question is going to be, how does this fit on the team and how can they balance out his play? Because it's okay to not have a player who isn't strong defensively. You can't teach a player to be this outstanding offensive force. You can teach them defensive structure, I would say. They can work with him with that and maybe a new defensive coach will help him get there but you also need to make sure that you're putting him in a position to succeed. So if he can play on the left, he probably has a better chance of having a stronger partner because you see Adam Fox, who's very good on both ends of the ice, and Jacob Truba, who despite last year, has generally been very good on both sides of the ice. You have a stronger partner for him there. If he's on the right, his partner could be Brennan Smith, Ryan Lindgren, or Jack Johnson, Hooray. or somebody else. Libra Hayek. Yeah, and it just you don't look at anyone and go, well, they're this... Not necessarily a defensive stalwart because you don't need this shutdown defenseman to go with this offensive defenseman to make it work. And I know that's what so many coaches do. And we can look at like Adam McQuaid or someone like that, like coming into a lineup and being like, well, he's defensive here, go skate with someone offensive and it will provide balance. Like you don't need that. But if you can have someone that is solid in their own end, and it could be an Adam Fox type player who we know is so good on his, in his own end, you have that balance. But until you figure out, if he's in the right situation, if you if he stays on the third pair or does he move up the depth chart? Because, you know, for the most part, we're projecting him to be on the third pair. Can the cost make sense when you pair it with Truba's contract, what Adam's Fo- Adam Fox's next year will be, and then that value plus adding on to it? So there's like so many different things to it if you're just focusing about everything on the ice. And if he's, is he going to be the right fit? So it's, it's a good contract. It's good value. It's tradable if they need it to be. It's insurance for Seattle, which I do not think it'll come down to. But for Boteto to reach the minimum, he has to play 19. X amount of games. I do. I think it's nine, right, 19, you said? Yeah, it's 19 games. I wonder if that changes if it's a shorter season. Because I, I it would be a little bit more fair to make it more proportionate to the games available to play. But if, you know, they don't want to be in a situation where they have to now trade for someone at the deadline to fulfill that that requirement if not and now waste an asset like they have insurance in a sense and they can make a deal and say don't touch him but we know you know we just have to have him out there I don't think it comes down to it but they give themselves options right now whether he's on the team long term whether he's not whether they need it for the expansion draft 
you know, anything else. Like, I'm not going to write it off and be like, well, he won't be here in two years. But there's reason to believe maybe he won't because of the cost, because of the incoming prospects and because of everything else. Like, will it work? But like, that is just the that's more on the team than just on him. Correct. I, I lean definitely that Tony would not be a New York Ranger in two years. If you asked me right now, like, hey, you have to bet a thousand dollars on what it would be. I would say he's not a New York Ranger. I think his value gets I too agree. high. I think they end up trading him, not if not this deadline, but the deadline after. Or he gets taken in the expansion draft. I, I think that's a, also a long shot at this point. But like a lot of what you said is, is really interesting when it comes to Tony. He had a fantastic year last year, no doubt about it. Like, guy was an offensive force. But if he moves to the left side, is he still the same player? We don't know. Like, yeah, he played all his junior hockey on the left, but that doesn't mean it, like it's a different game in the NHL. I'm not surprising anybody by saying that at this point. Like, that could substantially change the way he plays. That being said, he's going to have a lot better partner, like you pointed out, than he had last year, which is most of the time he was playing with Mark Stahl, unless there was an emergency situation where they needed to score where they paired him with Adam Fox. So if I'm Tony, I'm thinking to myself, like, is it actually a hindrance of to play for on the left side? Because if my game declines, my next contract, which I'm already playing for because it's two years away from now, it could be less. Um, so maybe I'm less inclined to play the left side when that comes, which hurts the team. Tony does seem like a good like teammate locker room guy when that comes in that in that situation. So I'm pretty sure he will be the first person to play on the left side. Uh, I know they said they were exploring between him and Adam Fox. I don't think they'll be taking Adam Fox off the right side because they expect him to be here long term and to be a solution. So I, I'm really curious to see how Tony plays when it comes to the left. And I uh, I really think his his saga over the next two years is going to be one of the more fascinating parts about the New York Rangers and their, their sort of opening of the window. Because if Tony continues to develop, and let's say this year he becomes, um, or he has the offensive or rather defensive minded shift when he get, works with Jacques and like, it, you know, stops allowing his own entries as easy. And then becomes you know, not a shutdown defender, but capable while still maintaining his offensive prowess. Uh, that's going to be a really hard decision for the Rangers the next two deadlines. And luckily they have him on a really great deal. And if, if he is playing it that way, he'll, and they decide they have to ship him out no matter what happens, at least they'll be fetching a nice package at that point. Yep. That's, like it's like the fair and balanced way to put it, you know. Like I agree with you. I don't. I don't see it likely that he ends up on the Rangers in the long term because of cost. You you know, like the entry level contracts and Zabanajad and everything like that. I think my biggest issue with everything though is, I mean, obviously, no one could have predicted the season ending as early as it did. I wish they experimented with things in more than just dire situations, and. That comes down to D'Angelo playing the left side. They could have tried that for a game. Why not? You know, if you're, if you think that it can help, you could always change it. it it's the same with Heedle playing the second line center position. Like he did it when Strom was in a lull, they switched it. The second Strom showed a spark, they switched it back because it wasn't about Heedle. It was about Strom. When I don't think you need to be looking at it going, well, what can Strom do for us? You know, you had this whole season. So there are things that they didn't get the opportunity to and also didn't actively do that hurt them. And I wish I, I not, I wish I would think that they wish that they had time to go back and try to assess those things a little bit differently, just so they had like a better picture. And obviously no one could have anticipated what happened, but they could have been doing it all along the way, but everything was so focused on how can we be the best team right now? Let's act in the interest of that, because obviously they're buying for the playoffs. If there could have been a little bit more balance in that, I think it would have, 
made their like everything a little bit easier for them right now just have more background than well he played in the third period and it helped when they needed to score like that's that's great that is something but it would have been nice to build off that Absolutely. Uh, I just will. I'll just chime in and say it's poetic that Shana referred to the contract as fair and balanced because I don't know if it was knowingly or unknowingly, but fun fact that is Fox News' slogan. So I just wanted to. Oh my that. God. Is it really? Yeah. 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 Oh, uh, I learned that fact while I was playing American themed trivia in Brazil. Uh, <laughs> the two buddies I was on that trip with and I burst out laughing when we heard that was actually their motto. I had no idea because I. Well, I thought that was a, I thought that was a deep cut joke. I really thought you you went above no, that. that that would have been really funny. Um, but no, I mean, I, I, I got I a kick out of it. I got a good kick out. Listeners of it. at home just cackling. All right, let's um <laughs> let's move on to I I've mentioned multiple times this sort of contention window, and you, Shayna, wrote for theAthletic.com a piece named <laughs> "Assessing the Rangers' Current Roster and Their Path to Contention." Why don't you summarize your thesis of this piece? Um. Well, basically, I don't watch the game, and I put it into a computer. Shana, you so smart. <laughs> you so smart, Shana. Using them computers. Uh, using computers. Yep. Not watching games, just watching the charts develop instead of a game. I think you should probably watch um, the game. I, you know, my eye test usually tells me I'm right. It's amazing. Like, could you imagine if I didn't watch the games and I just attempted to like do everything without it? Like, why would I ever go into a job being like, I want my but for my life and my career, I'd like to write about hockey, but I never want to watch it. Like, uh, anyway. Um, I just want to use so Excel you... and look at numbers. Apple That's numbers, it. actually. Okay, sorry, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, so I use Game Score Evaluated, which is Dom Lushishin's stat. Um, it's, it's a projection that blends traditional box score numbers with analytical numbers and accounts for aging. And it's based on three years of data that's weighted uh, with recency. So mm -hmm. it, it's, it's not just a number that looks at a player's one season and tells you everything you need to know um, for the most part, except for when they reach the NHL level, it only tallies that it doesn't blend NHL plus prospect data. It's one or the other. So like Kako has such a poor projection because it's based only on his, his, rookie season. his absolutely terrible rookie season. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I, what I wanted to do was see how the team looked right now with Lafreniere in the lineup, because that was the one change that we could bank on. We all knew that was coming. And also how the team looked without Mark Stahl, because at that point, that those were the only two things we knew were certain. And then kind of figure it out from there to address, to assess their weaknesses. You know, if Ryan Strom is here, how does the team look? Well, if he's not here, how could it look? So the Rangers right now, well, no, the Rangers before free agency did look like a better team because their forward value was boosted. Um, whether or not Jesper Foss was there, if you pulled a player like I pulled out like Greg McKegg and I'm missing a player. But yeah, I so I, I experimented like with and without Foss, things like that. So, oh, uh, Di Giuseppe. I didn't have Di Giuseppe in my mm -hmm. projection. I okay. think I noted what he would be worth, but so just to see like what he would bring. And it's, it is a major boost because the value of first overall pick generally, they bring so much value in their first seven years. Um, there can be outliers. And we know that because Kako was a second overall pick and, you know, obviously his first year wasn't as impactful as anticipated, but so just that change and taking out Mark Stahl did make the team better, but there's like, so it's so clear that there were holes 
even if you keep Strom and even if you keep D'Angelo, because then you push the question into the future. So I tried to add in prospects, which again, that's a gamble because as much as we can look at a player like Andre Miller and go, he looks great. I think he'll do well at the NHL level. Like we genuinely don't know. Will he ever make it there? Will he play there? Will he be a mainstay? Could he be traded before then? There's so many questions. So adding him in did boost their value. And so did adding in Nils Lundqvist. So you can see where they project over next year, the following year, and the year after that. But what's interesting is it seems like the Rangers seem to know this based on their free agency, unless they genuinely think the players that they signed are going to be difference makers this year, which it doesn't seem like is the case. Um, And if it was, I would question their judgment. that like this upcoming year is not the year to contend, but the year after is the one that they really need to set themselves up for because you have players like Panarin and Kreider, you know, they're going to start declining. And while Panarin's an elite player, so his decline is still going to be above average and top line worthy. You want to balance these right now players that you invested in, in Truba and Kreider and Zibanejad in Panarin and balance that with your younger players because you're bouncing entry-level contracts. That makes your life that much easier. The second that you start getting away from that is when you're going to have to start losing players and it hurts you overall. And you can look at a team like the Winnipeg Jets, what happened to them um, this past year, because yes, they got hurt by everything with Dustin Bufflin. They also had to make changes and Trubo was one of them because they couldn't balance all these contracts once players like Line and Connor were going into their second deals, which were much more significant than their first deals. So... 2021-22 could be a good year to open that window and maybe they won't be bonafide contenders yet but they should be a team that you don't just look at and go well maybe they can make a push for the playoffs like they should make the playoffs and build from there but the challenge you're going to come across is the following year when Zibanejad you know you have to deal with his contract and what it might cost and and that's when the costs are going to start getting out of hand but that's when their younger players should be you know Adam Fox projects to be an elite player in a year, not this upcoming year, but the next. So that takes you a step closer to contention, having that elite defenseman that they don't have. And if D'Angelo is on the left and does stick there and a player like Nils Lundqvist does come into the lineup and Kendra Miller works out, like there's a really good foundation there for a defensive core. And, you know, there are, there's a lot of upside there, but what showed through, through all of it is that they need to address that center position unquestionably so in their middle six and that means figuring out if strom is that long-term piece figuring out what philip ceiling really is and right now obviously his numbers at the nhl level they don't look like this player that is going to be this outstanding second line center but he also hasn't had the chance to prove it as much and it's like the same argument that people could make with savannah when he became the number one center it was well he can't do that and it was well he's never done it you know you're looking at numbers that were him in a different role you got to let him see what he does when he has more ice time and better teammates around him. So that the, the center position is a huge issue still. And the left defense is going to be until we know what happens with D'Angelo or players like Miller or who they could bring in. So the team definitely isn't complete, but if they can really build on um, their younger players and progress there, there actually is a pretty good foundation and core there, but it's just kind of funny when you look at it, like, they locked into a lot. You know, Adam Fox wanted to play in New York. Artemi Panarin wanted to play in New York. Um, the Zibanejad trade, they played it right. But two getting, lotteries. Yeah, two lottery picks right there. Like, there's a lot that they lucked into. And then the moves that they've made around it 
haven't all been great. So it's kind of like you need to work a little bit harder. So your GMing matches and your management and coaching and everything else matches that luck that you've had, because you're probably not going to keep getting lucky like that. And if you like, you'll hit a wall at some point. Absolutely. I think one thing I thought is it's definitely an interesting conversation for the future, but something I'll bring up real, real quick. Now you mentioned the centers, right? And how New York Rangers centers aren't exactly um, growing on trees. And we don't know if Hedl can be the second line center. Well, exactly. They played him at the wing during playoffs. And that's something I still think about is a little bit concerning for the future. Brett Howden, obviously uh, a name that will make anybody angry uh, on the internet for some reason. Uh, He's a man (laughs) rocket. He can get it. There you go. Um, So now that we've covered that, because of Benajad's contract is not that much longer. And one thing you said earlier about Tony D'Angelo is, can he do it again? And I, I think that that same question lurks for Mika Zibinijad this year. Now, that's not a question that anybody wants to hear. That's not a question. That's not a conversation that anybody wants to talk about. But if Mika Zibinijad can't replicate, you know, I don't expect him to be what he did this year again. Like, he was unbelievable. Um, this might be the best year you get out of Mika Zibinijad. But he has to stay at that same level, that same you know, production skill, like that of someone that could take over a game, can can score at the rate he can, maybe not be the lead league in score or the goal. I know he led the league in uh, average scores goals per game or whatever, because he only played 58 and Ovechkin played a lot more or at least 11 more or something like that. But for me, because the to go forward, he's going to need to prove himself as a number one center, even though he already has. Um, but the consistency that he's going to have will will probably determine what the Rangers do with him in the long term. Look, I know they're looking to throw the bag at him. They're going to pay him big time money uh, to stay on this team. But if that question comes down to, can they play pay me because of Inajad or pay someone like Jack Eichel? I think that question um, is no longer really a question. So I wonder what happens with me because moving forward. I don't think it ever, I honestly don't see anything with Eichel ever coming to fruition. I like, Boo. I know, I know. I, I, <laughs> I just don't like see it. I don't think they'll ever find that. Like, look, if it's being discussed right now mm-hmm. and it doesn't improve, you know that situation is going to come to a head and the Sabres will be desperate to move him, or, you know, whatever. Absolutely. To make him happy. Like, that will happen. I just don't think it's going to happen. So, and I think with Zibanejad, the two concerns, like you mentioned, it's going to be that consistency. And, like, I think he's, a, a you know, a high-end number one center. Maybe he'll never be that elite center. And he's not going to be that you know, Eichel and McDavid. And that's okay because you have Panarin and maybe Lafreniere becomes that elite winger too. You know, you really don't know if he'll reach that height or Kako or anything like that. He shot at a ridiculous rate last year. It's concerning when you look at that and go, can he repeat that? He missed, I think it was 13 games and he was outstanding in the games that he was in. I think that he will still be very good. I would say if he had 40 goals over an 82 game season, that's a win. That's maybe the more reasonable instead of going, well, let's multiply his points per game and put it to what it will be over a full season. Like, that's really hard to do. I don't know if it's totally possible for it to happen, but he does have a really good shot. He is a very frequent shooter and he's a very effective shooter and it's only gotten better a shot. And I think that's something that throughout his career, his shot has been his weapon. Maybe he was more projected to be this middle six or a second line two-way center. Last year, his defensive play actually took a hit I think it's really because the entire team's defensive play was so bad. Um, But if he, let's say, doesn't shoot at the same clip, but is still a 30-40 goal scorer and still can, you know, put up 70 points, but is playing his own end is a little bit better, 
and his shorthanded play improves because, you know, hopefully there's some more tactics coming in with the change in coach. That's a win. That's, that's a very good thing to have. And that like right there would solidify him for me to go, okay, I would feel confident paying him, but you still have to find that balance because you don't want to pay players past their prime. And like, you're going to get roped into that no matter what. So it, it, it's really tricky, but I just feel like if you can't look at only the scoring and then the other thing that'll definitely be talked about is his concussion history, because you don't want it that you sign a player long-term that you're worried about their injuries. And then you're without a first line center. So, and then you're cooked, like the your season's over. Like, yeah. Especially when you look at the rest of the centers on the, on the roster at this point, it's just like, if Mika yeah. gets hurt, Brett Howden is your second line center. Well, last year it happened and you had Strom as the first line center mm-hmm. and it worked because it was like a one, a one B first second line anyway. And he stepped up. And this is what's so funny. Like, Hedl stepped up when he was brought to the Rangers, when the Zibanejad injury happened. And I think he was going to come up soon anyway because he was doing so well in Hartford. And um, he was playing with Buchnevich and Kreider. And, like, they weren't scoring, but they drove play. They were creating these high-quality chances. And if they stayed together, I think that line would have just started, like, exploding for for scoring because everything they were doing was right. If you, As long as you keep doing that, good things will happen. And good things were happening even if the puck wasn't going in the net, which is – such a win for this team that is not a good puck possession team. Like we saw that from it, that you could look at it and go, you know, maybe Heedle can be the second line center. Like they managed to stay afloat without Zibanejad. Do I think they could long-term if he had a major injury was out for a year? Hell no, like not a shot. And that's like banking on a lot, but maybe they can look at that to kind of help assess their center depth a bit too. Like how did they do without Zibanejad? Not to even figure out what to do with Zibanejad, but what to do with everyone below him. But yeah, like they don't have that depth to be comfortable going, oh, okay, this is what we'll roll forward with. Like it, it doesn't work. Um, before we started this whole interview process, Shana, I said I would tweet Jack Johnson. And I want to tell you that a lot of people got <laughs> angry pretty quick. Um, so we, we did that, got that out of the way. One totally unrelated question. Do you think that NHL contracts are too long and that seven or eight years is just too long of a, of a player to be on one team and maybe, maybe it'd be better in the long term. I've, I've, listen, I'm all for the players getting paid and getting their money, et cetera. Right. But for the good and the health of the league, maybe five years would be five year max would be more healthy and a more interesting uh, drive for creating drama and interest in the NHL. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, you had 14 year contracts before this. So like it's, it's an improvement, but I think the problem stem further back. I think it's the fact that players don't reach, uh, unrestricted free agency until they're either 27 or have seven years in the league. I think that should be lowered. Maybe make it five years because it would make things a little more interesting. And with team, it would help teams save them from themselves because you're not signing this 28, 29 year old player because you finally got a chance to add a player like Anders Lee. You know, like you look at Montreal last year, they were ready to pay Anders Lee, but then the money got tied up with Aho. You never would have like. Had he been two years younger, everyone would have been like, oh, yeah, totally. Like, back up the money. You got it. No problem. Um, but when you're doing that when a player's 29 years old, it's like, uh, should you be signing a player for seven years? I think it hurts teams. And I think for players, it can help certain players that get overpaid. Like, when you have players who should not be signing those seven-year contracts. And I think, like, you know, like the Matt Molsons and Kyle Posters and things like that, like, they stand out because they were – they're very good – players but they're not that top tier that should ever be getting that commitment and they did and it's great for them that they did but it hurts the team but then on the other hand you have a player like McDavid signing an eight-year contract 
and he's capped at what he can get because you know you can only vary so much every year in your um salary and your cap hit still has to be the average annual value and like you're hurting yourself because eight years that's a long time if you signed a two-year deal you have two outstanding years look at what you can do next so it's nice to see those restricted free agents changing it you know last year with the points and the McAvoy's and the Warinsky's going for these shorter term deals and it's for the best but as much it, it really will would help everyone if they one made the max contract shorter and two made free agency come a little bit sooner for these guys feels like other leagues sort of figured that out like I know there's still like long-term <laughs> deals in baseball and the Albert Pujols contract was obviously horrendous the moment it was signed etc and Mookie Betts is signed for like 10 years and so is Mike Trout some other players. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is signed for 10 years, but like you have to be the top of the top of the tippity top to get those kind of deals in other leagues. Whereas right. in, the, in the NHL, you can get like, you know, I'm happy for Josh Anderson, but to sign Josh Anderson for seven years is like, I don't know. What's the last three years of that? Like, I know he's, he's still young, but like we've seen that a lot of players fall off around 31, 32 at this point. And that's, yeah. that's just the name of the game. Like it's youth and speed. So it's very confusing to me to, I, I wonder how the next CBA is going to go. I know we're not, like, close to it at all. I, I don't know, like, what the deal is. I know Panarin was, like, before we were playing, was talking about uh, escrow a lot on Instagram and yeah. something that has to get solved there. But I think for well, the – that that's a bigger problem, though. Like, mm-hmm. I, that's the thing. Like, I everyone talks about, like, escrow, and it's like, if there's a 50-50 split, one side is most likely going to go the others. And if teams weren't close to their cap ceilings all the time and they were a little bit lower, then it would be the other way around that the owners could owe the players more because they didn't hit that 50% share with all their salaries. But obviously most teams spend to the cap. And because of that, they have to figure out some sort of reconciliation process. And it sucks. But I mean, it goes to show that the NHL is not making enough revenue and they need to boost it in other ways so the split is more even and the players don't have to give as much money back as they do. And then, um, yeah, the monster contracts, like it, it, that also doesn't help the situation. But like the biggest thing is like the NHL needs to learn how to make more money and they need to learn how to, like a novel concept, make more money, market yourself better. And there's so many things that have gone wrong. And I'm not saying that they don't get anything right, but there's so much that has gone wrong. And this pandemic has made it, a thousand times harder to climb yourself back up from the bottom of the major four leagues where they already were. So they need to just figure out how to boost revenues altogether. And it would help literally everyone and everything, but they just have not seemed to do that. So, I mean, it seems like an easy thing, market your players, you know, Hmm. market your game. This doesn't make any sense. Don't piss off every fan that you have that isn't a white man by being a little bit more welcoming and something. And I don't know, maybe don't only do it to be um, performative. Like little things that they could do that would make everything a hell of a lot better. But, you know, what do I know? I'm just a woman. So to them, I don't have an opinion. Too many men. Nice plug. Um, I mm-hmm. will I will say that I think the pandemic was a right step in the direction for the NHL. Now everything after the restart, I'm not sure sometimes, but the bubble itself was uh, tremendous. And they kind of left the, they led the way before even the NBA did that. So I think that's a good start for the NHL, but when it comes to marketing, they're absolutely terrible. And I have, I have to tell you the doc news is, is really upsetting to me because um, I think he's the best, one of the best announcers in hockey and for him to retire and go away from NBC uh, when they still have hockey 
is yeah. r- really, really bad news because that's a guy I can listen to even if you're not a, a non-hockey fan. And now, like, the NBC coverage... A non-hockey which... fan and a woman, right? Like R- that New York Post article. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, uh, but I I totally agree, though. Like, yeah, he, no. That, that article was ridiculous, by the way. What a headline. Um, he just he gives a shit, and I think cares. that's so important. He cares about the game and how he describes the players and how he says the players' names, and he wants to get it right, and he wants to know these facts about the players and tell you more of a story about the game and what's going on in a creative and different way that you're as excited watching from home as you would be in the stands. Like, he, it, like he needs to just start training other commentators so they can like learn to give a shit as much as he does because he's just like such like a wholesome guy. Doc haters out there, I don't get it. Because the, that guy gets me pumped when he's just calling yep. any game. It's a could be boring game, but the way he like elevates his voice, the language, the nonsense, like uh, even some of his like quick quips um, that sometimes maybe feel too smart for the room. I love them dearly. So to wake up yep. today to be like, Doc's not doing this anymore. I was like, NBC is cooked. Can we please get hockey back to ESPN? Because at least they will. I listen. I know that's weird, and maybe like. Ryan, everyone's cor- cutting cords. Who cares about ESPN? People still care about ESPN, and they actually market their games. It would be on their talk shows. Talking Heads would talk about them maybe once in a while. And all you got to do is get one debate on by Stephen A. Smith or someone like that, and you could have you could have you seriously could bring so much interest to your sport. Like when they talk about basketball and NFL drama all day, they almost never talk about the games. They just talk about the drama. And we don't do any of that in the NHL. And it bothers me to the core. This year was an improvement though with like the pettiness going on, like that there was actually like storylines to talk about. But like so my question mm-hmm. without Doc, who is your ideal person to head up their coverage then? you know, from a play-by-play perspective? Because I could look at it and be like, well, I think AJ Malesko should be full-time between the benches instead of someone like Pierre Maguire because he has outdated views and doesn't seem to want to well, learn. Everyone thinks well, that, Shana. Right. So, like, that's... There's so much more to improve than just now you have to replace Doc. But who would you replace Doc with? I'm going to steal Greg's thunder here. Is Gary Thorne available? Is he sitting at home? Can we give him a call? Like, he Isn't was... He doing- he was, he was doing Orioles, but he was off this year because of pandemic. He didn't want to travel. Um, if, if he's available, I'd give him a call immediately. I know the the runner right now is Kenny Albert. Not exactly like – I don't have anything against Kenny, but I'm not like thrilled that he would be doing hockey. I mean, I I think Kenny is very good at his job. And Agreed. He's, like, I, he's very knowledgeable. Like he, he knows so much about literally everything. But it would be interesting to see him – be the lead commentator and then not bounce around as much, which I think is something that's like, it's like part of the allure, like how much he does. He's the busiest person and he's so good at it for like every sport. Correct. But um, Gary Thorne, you know, he wouldn't have to watch Glaber Torres hit so many home runs against the Orioles I mean, if he switched to hockey. Nice, just th- nice to think about can actually call a game. We did the rewatch this, uh, this pandemic. I almost said this summer, I guess it was this summer. <laughs> Um, and uh, Gary Thorne was one of the highlights of the 94 cup run, like just unbelievable the entire time unreal um gregory any other questions for shane before we able to get out of here no okay <laughs> sounds good <laughs> all right shane why don't you plug anything you got going on and we'll uh we'll let you go um what do i have going on oh Great there's question. the two man podcast yeah that's we're a good doing pod. That. We, have, we have a live podcast and we're interviewing alex mandrecki of the seattle kraken that is on sunday and wow, it's nice. part of the Carnegie Mellon Sports Analyst Conference, and I'm going to try not to curse for an hour, and it's not going to go well. Wow. And yeah, yeah, I need like a shot collar or something like that. Um, because 
I don't know. It's just live sports. Just get just get riled up. Yeah. And um, what else? Uh, I'm working on something about contracts, so that might be a thing. And I don't have like anything else concrete right now, but there is something that I did start watching video on that I will probably write about in the near future about a certain player who fans were not very happy about that Ryan just riled people up about and yeah. So wow, Capo Caco? Are you serious? I okay. haven't heard about him this summer. Okay. Summer? Sorry. Off season? Sorry. What who, is it? Who knows? All right. Uh, sounds good. We will uh, talk to you soon, Shannon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hey, we're back. Great interview with Shana. Uh, always love having her on. Great insight and et cetera, et cetera. Good friend, et cetera, et cetera. Character, et cetera. All right. Uh, let's get to five-star questions. You want to leave five-star questions? Before, oh. before you ask the first question. Yes, hit me. I'm going to bury the Charlie Morton stuff right here now. Oh, we're doing it now. Just because I'm, in, I'm, interested, I'm interested in your take. Okay. Hold on, everybody. Because we're getting I, to the questions, I promise. Yeah. Well, I just – I saw a lot of people tweeting about it. Mm-hmm. But the people I was watching the game with, all of us were in almost complete agreement on what happened. Okay. I, I don't care that he only threw 65 pitches. I don't that I thought it was a foregone conclusion that if the tying run got to the plate in that sixth inning, Morton was coming out. There was especially no, since it was the third time through the line. Gregory, there was no way he wasn't coming out. Doesn't matter if the he only, was at 66. It's the Rays' way. Yeah. It didn't matter. No, but not but not just that. Everyone's like, well, numbers be damned. It's like no, this is why you trust the numbers because all it takes is one swing of the bat from Correa and it's a tie game. They the and Rays Morton, saw it this whole this whole series. Correa won multiple yeah. games for them. And the the gra- they they flashed the graphic early in the game too that everyone either ignored or didn't pay any attention to. And it's like Morton first time through the lineup unhittable. Second time through the lineup unhittable. Third time through the lineup an OPS against over one thousand. Like what? I don't care. It, the, I just I don't I don't know if it's just because I'm like old now, but I don't believe in pitching grooves. I think pitchers just when you have a bullpen like the Rays do, and by the way, shout out to the Rays Oof. for never Oof. saving their best reliever for the ninth inning. Never. I how many times have I bitched to you about that? A million. Thompson a million. was his first save of the season. Yeah. Game but seven. like Nick Anderson's your best reliever. The tying run is at the plate in the sixth inning of a game seven. Bring him in in the fucking sixth inning like the Rays did. What are we doing? That's the most important out the Rays got that entire game. It's uh, It was a tremendous uh, moment for me. I'll just say that. Um, but there, there's no way Morton stays in. Like, like, None. There's like 0% chance. Um, they have Peter Fairbanks. They have Nick Anderson. They have all these guys that are just absolute studs. Like, why would you, why would you let him pitch there like i know i saw a bunch of people freaking out like 66 pitches baseball is soft like no they know what's going to happen and they have gas they have straight gas and people that throw pitches that are so different than everybody else everybody in their bullpen throws totally different stuff you cannot get comfortable behind the plate you're just not going to get comfortable right and maybe maybe if he got altuve out to end the sixth inning he comes back out to start maybe they would have let morton go until the tying run came to the plate but Morton was never facing the tying run in the sixth inning. It didn't matter how many pitches he threw. It didn't. And Nick Anderson, despite being shaky earlier in the season, um, had the double play. In the season, he gave up five fucking Sorry. hits all year, Ryan. Sorry, not a season. Um, the game we watched together last Monday where he threw nine straight balls earlier in the yes. series. I said season. Yes. He had one nine-pitch sequence where he was bad this year. And he still got out of it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, I am very, very, very nervous for this World Series because 
the Rays, uh, they won despite having significantly lower batting averages than both teams. So the pitchers on their team have to be perfect. And the Dodgers, I don't know if you know this, they have like nine threats um, at all, every position. They're loaded and they have the second best player in baseball and they have a good pitching staff. So it's going to be uh, very, very tough. But the good news is that we start up one no, one nothing because Randy already hit his home run for game one and two. <laughs> so. I, I have i have again if the there are there are like four organizations in all of sports that we follow where if they call asking about my player i'm just hanging up the phone yeah the rays if the rays call me asking for a guy that i was ready to give up on i'm hanging up the phone and then just staring at that guy for two weeks we've talked about out. this for years years yeah. you and i like yeah. if someone calls one of these teams like you just go no way that, yeah. uh, there's no way I'm giving you that guy. There's no chance. They, the Rays, the, the Avalanche. The, yeah, the the Rays, Joe Sackick, Steve Eiserman, and I think Liverpool would be the fourth team where I'm. If Liverpool is like, hey, we'd like to give you twenty million dollars for this guy, I'd be like, no thanks. Uh, he must be really good. So shut the fuck up and get away from me. Right, and but you'll never know because you'll never untap that like asset. Like Peter Fairbanks, right? Like, is that guy good anywhere else? Probably not. But it, Nick it, Anderson. Nick Anderson was designated for. Wasn't he like he's designated yeah, for assignment yeah, by the Marlins? Yes. Yeah. They straight up gave up on him. They gave up on all all these guys. Like the Texans gave up on Peter Fairbanks, and now he's got these big ass bug eyes, and he throws 101 miles per hour. It's sick. Like you I'm know. Also, I'm also convinced the only reason the Rays traded Fam and Cronenworth to the Padres, it was the like the Rangers. The Rays had won. 100% of their trades up until that point. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to make a trade that made the league think they could make a bad trade. Right. And they're like, all right, if there are two guys we could probably live without, maybe it's Fam and Cronenworth. So let's just intentionally tank this trade. So when we want to trade Liberator for a Rosarena, no one's going to bat an eye about it. Yeah, everyone's like, like that trade, fine. That trade's a fucking, that's a red herring. They knew exactly what they were doing. They intentionally <laughs> lost that trade in order to win six more trades thereafter. It's it's, it's smart. It really is. Uh, hang up the phone if the Rays call you. Same with the Dodgers, though. They do the same thing, but they got infinite money. So Right. No, the Dodgers thing is like, hey, we'll take Mookie Betts, and instead of giving you a good player, we're also going to take David Price, and somehow we're going to make the Twins give us uh, Gatterall, too. For Just no a, reason? The. the the four best players in that trade, none of them went to the Red Sox, which is really hard to do uh, when it's the Red Sox that gave up Mookie Betts. And I like Cheater Downs a lot. And this is getting really baseball heavy, but I like Cheater Downs a lot who the Red, the Red Sox got, but that is, there's no chance. Like, no, there's no Maeda chance. was fantastic with the Twins. Yep. Gatterall, Gratterall, whatever his name, Bruce Dar is throwing that. That guy's either going to be a middle of the rotation pitcher or a shutdown reliever. It's, yep. Those are the only two options. Oh, and by the way, Mookie Betts. So <laughs> Dodgers sitting pr- pretty. They're sitting pretty. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some five-star. That was talk of baseball. I'm very nervous um, for this week, and uh, it's been a lot of a lot of baseball. I took 12 games in 13 days. Just too much almost. All right. Five-star question. You want to leave a five-star question on the show? Go to iTunes. Uh, leave a five-star review. Read them on the show. Got a couple today. A couple of long ones, too, but I'm going to try and paraphrase them as we go here. It's from Xheed. I just want to point out something here. I think Jeff Gordon is the luckiest GM in the league, and if not for the luck he gets with the Ranger fan— uh, if not for this luck— he gets Ranger fans would have a much different point of view for him. Two lottery picks, Panarin wanted to come to New York, and Truba, same with Truba and his wife, adding on Adam Fox, pretty much demanding his way here. So sure, Jeff Gordon has made some great moves, but I don't think he's the great GM people make him out to be. What do you guys think? Love the podcast. Hashtag praise be. Hmm. I think, um, I think it's, Gordon's... It's difficult. It is difficult. Because, like, 
you have to sign Artemi Panarin. He was looking to go to the Islanders. He was looking at other places. He right. got a bigger deal at so, Columbus, but Jeff closed so, the deal. He still so gets the credit. Argument, the argument for why Gorton is lucky is uh, two of his most recent NHL-level acquisitions are players that forced their way to New York, right, with Panarin and Fox. Uh, he won two lotteries with Kako and Lafreniere, and... That's usually the big, well, this guy's just lucky moves, right? When you think of four of the biggest moves in recent Ranger history, those are the four. But I think, I don't think he gets enough credit, regardless of how you feel about Strom. That was a one-for-one trade with Ryan Spooner. Uh, That's a good one. I, I don't think, as much as people like to give him shit for the lightning trade, I don't think enough people give him credit for the Nash deal. Because that essentially got him, um, Keandre Miller, Keon, well, Keandre Miller and Ryan Lindgren. Uh, I don't think he gets enough I, credit for Nick Holden either. Or Nick even, Holden became Joey Keane, who became Julian Gauthier. Um, there are a lot of smaller moves that Gordon doesn't get the right credit for. Yeah, I think yeah, he, he, if he nailed the Lightning deal with Ryan McDonough, I think you'd look at him in a totally different light. Is he the best GM in the league? No. Is he one of the guys you quote-unquote hang up on like we were just talking about? No. But he's definitely in the top 10. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, no, I, I have no question that he's in the top 10 GMs in the NHL with, with the way everything is run these days. Yeah, I, I don't think he's a genius. I don't think he's actively bad and the NHL bar is so low that as long as you're not actively bad, you're doing pretty good. And also, yes, Panarin and Fox essentially forced their their way to the Rangers, but the Rangers also read the market correctly and didn't have to overpay for either of those guys. So while, while you can give Gorton shit for not having, he didn't have to make a hard decision, but he could have also easily given Panarin more money because Panarin was offered more money, uh, or he could have given the Hurricanes an extra first-round pick, and he didn't do either of those things. So it's, yeah, those two guys wanted to come to New York, but he got Panarin on he a He also discount, got a first for Brady Shea, like, at the last second. Like, that's good business. Yeah, but that, that, you know, that's another flip of the coin move, right? Because at the time, it seems like fair value, Mm-hmm. It's not like Jeff Gorton knew there was going to be a pandemic or... and he wouldn't have been able to trade Brady Shea before. Or... No, I'm not. I, I don't okay. think anyone in the NHL besides Joe Sackick was smart enough to see a pandemic. That's true. He read the tea leaves. All right. Uh, next question is from Dana 9 Hey, guys, love the pod. I think the rebuild's gone really well. I think we agree. But when you think about it, it's time for the Rangers to start trading away their draft picks for more immediate needs. Do you think it would be a good move to trade their 2021 first-round pick for a second-line center? I think it depends, and I know this is a cop-out answer. It really depends on the center. If they feel believe the value is there and someone that's going to be there for many years to come, yeah, I think they, they'll consider it. But they're, they're not giving that first-round draft pick away unless there's something that knocks their socks off. No, and they still need to figure out what Filipino is. I... I'm not quick to say who the Rangers' long-term second center is going to be because it might be Philip Hedl. This is going to be a big year for Hedl. We've talked about this many times before, and we're going to talk about it a lot more whenever the season decides to start again. We're going to talk about it even more whenever the Rangers, Rangers decide to move on from Ryan Strome. There's a very good – I, I wouldn't say a very good chance, but there is a chance that the second-line center of the future is already a New York Ranger. We just haven't given Hedl enough opportunity to win that job for himself. So – would I give up it? Yeah, like you said, depends on the center. 
I don't think any draft pick should be untouchable. Uh, but I'm not just going to give away that pick. And I've been trying to give away that pick for an offer sheet for Anthony Sorelli <laughs> for a long I, time. I, I would do that. Yeah. So it, yeah, there are centers in this league. You trade a first round draft pick for, I wouldn't say the Rangers absolutely have to trade a first round draft pick to get that guy though. Agree. Chris from Florida writes in an essay, like literally an essay. So I'm going to try and make this a little bit dumbed down. Fantastic uh, job of the podcast. I'm writing these questions while listening to the creative of this episode. Being a long suffering, lo- it's a long, long suffering Mets, Jets and Knicks fan. I'm used to very negative talk. You are both far away Far and away from being negative about the Rangers. If anything, it's a lot more down the middle than other podcasts and online sites to cover the team. If you want to think negative, think about the Jets who have possibly ruined Dar- Darnold by not giving him help with his dumpster fire coach. Is there any coach worse than Adam Gase in the league right now, by the way? Just side, side note. No. In any no. league? Bill O'Brien, Bill O'Brien got fired. Yep. Uh, I don't think. Like, there are, there are actively not good coaches in the NHL, but they're also at least not prohibitive like Adam Gase is actively prohibiting mm-hmm. the Jets from getting better agree like, uh, like, like very you, very very much about, so yeah I think about someone like Anthony Lynn and while I don't think Anthony Lynn is good I don't think he's actively bad either he just kind of is exists right um the, Chris has now has three questions uh, we could do a whole podcast on this question so please uh restrain yourself but now, what okay. is your Greg? What is your best case scenario with Cohen taking over the Mets this offseason in terms of outlooks and free agent signings? Oof. Uh, oil. We could do thirty-five minutes exactly. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll. I mean, in order, the things I would do: Real Muto. Mm-hmm. I would do the Dodger equivalent of the Nolan Arenado trade. That's a good one. Just eat, eat the money, and bring in Arenado. Resign Stroman. And replace the entire analytics team. Well, that's a given, so I don't even feel like I have to say it. Yep. Let let me do a caveat to number two. So, Real Muto one, one of Arenado or Lindor two. Let me, let me, let me, let me add another caveat. (laughs) No, no, no. I asked this question to a friend, and I'll let you. This will be the last thing I ask Matt related of you today. If you're the Indians, and we think we assume the Indians are going to be super cheap this offseason, do you do. Nimo, Rosario, Francisco Alvarez, and another prospect for Lindor. Yes, I, there's no question. I love Francisco Alvarez, but yeah, no question. Right, because you would. The argument there is Nimo replaces Lindor's offense. You would assume. Yep. Rosario gives you an option at shortstop long term, and Alvarez is a top prospect. And for the Mets, you get a marquee player. That's it. I would do it. Yep. Yep. I would do it too. Especially since I don't think Nimmo's a center fielder. There's another I, Mets question in this five stars. So fantastic. You'll Hit be me. sticking around. Uh, not well, There's two more, actually. This one is, is are all this Chapman this decade's Armando Benitez? No. Uh, Chapman's actually good. He's just unlucky. Correct. Benitez was bad. Uh, now for an actual Ranger question. Although I have issues uh, upon issues with Jack Johnson, there are a lot of other signings far f- uh, that have a lot of other things that are happening with the Rangers. This future contains that seems to be bright for the Rangers, and I am with both of you. I still trust Gordon and, da- and Davidson, but these decisions were curious. Thankfully, all the signing, blah, 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 blah. You guys are the best. Where's the question? Where's the question, Chris? It's a, it's an essay. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think I, the, the question that you and I continue to ask, which is maybe the question that Chris is asking, is more along the lines of, should we blindly trust the Rangers' long-term defensive decision-making? And the answer still is resoundingly 
No. The question and, the question I found is, do you think that uh, some of these signings were made because the Rangers don't trust some of their younger players and don't think they're ready yet? I don't think it's that they don't trust them. I just think the Rangers felt like they had to replace Mark Stahl. Correct. And while we joke about... And the connections. They thought they had to replace Mark, Joff, Mark Stahl from a left-hand side of the D leadership position. Yep. Whereas we're going to make the joke that they needed to replace Mark Stahl's just inadequacies. Uh, no, I, if Jack Johnson wasn't... The Rangers didn't. I. I. I just. I, I. Maybe I'm giving them too much credit, which is hilarious when people call us negative. I just. I don't think the Rangers truly believe Jack Johnson is good. I don't think I they believe. Think, I think it's a connection thing. I think it was just like yeah. that's my guy. I'm going to help him out. If Jack. I if, swear. If Jack Johnson played his last couple of years with the Sharks, not under Jacques Martin, zero percent. And if Jack Johnson didn't have any JD connections, I don't think they signed. Like, it's not like the Rangers went out and signed Cody Cece. They, they signed a guy they knew who's a veteran and has been around the league and has worked with the coaching staff that the Rangers just brought in. Like, it, it, it's a very unique situation that the Rangers brought in Jack Johnson. All right. Uh, couple, one more Mets question than the rest of Rangers, I believe. This is from Mike from New Haven. Uh, this is more of a question from Greg giving his Mets fandom, but Ryan, feel free to chime in here too. Given the recent New York Post article discussing Steve Cohen's plan to beef up the Mets analytic department, which I referred to a second ago, Gregory, what are your thoughts on the Mets going the direction of Moneyball, Oakland Athletics, or even the current Yankees in terms of how they potentially value players? Analytics are important, don't get me wrong, but as a Yankee fan, I can attest that the overemphasis on analytics, analytics has become more of an albatross than an asset. In regards to the Mets, what say you? Well, I mean... I think the Yankees are still Look, fucking I, good, but they lost to a heavy analytics team that just had more depth this year. That's it. You also yeah, lost to a team that also only beat them with home runs. So it's not the home. Are we talking the Yankees here? Yeah, the, Yan- we about? the Yankees that lost to the race. They, like they're still good. Um, I'm just saying. He said, as a Yankee fan, I can't over. I can. I can't overemphasize that analytics have become more of an albatross rather than an asset. Well, I, I, yeah, and I don't think that's totally fair. Like. The Yankees saw something that not a lot of teams were seeing in DJ LeMahieu, which is why they got him on the cheap. And Luke Voigt. The Yankees are still a very smart team. Yeah. It's just, when you get into short playoff series, it's really about luck and not about analytics. The analytics gets you to the playoffs, and then from there, you just have to get lucky. Uh, and the Or you just have to do, like, you have to just science the shit out of how you pitch like the Rays do. But to be fair, the Yankees, the Yankees created monster bullpens first. Like they, they were the, the originator, other than like the Cubs, I think, right? Like Wade Davis, or the, or the like Andrew Miller was the prototype, right? Mm-hmm. And now everyone's just trying to replicate. Everyone's just trying to build a bullpen full of righty and lefty Andrew Millers. Yep. But like the Yankees created a monster bullpen, the Rays saw it, and then the Rays decided we need to create our own monster bullpen full of really cheap guys. And that's exactly what they did. They did. <laughs> they did it. Um, I think I, I to, to chime in for just for you on your side, like, of course, you're going to love the analytics money ball side of things. And the Mets are going to be much smarter now. Um, so stay tuned. It's going to be an interesting offseason. Yeah, the Mets, the Mets ho- hopefully are going to be the Rays, except with an unlimited budget. They're, that's called the Dodgers. Um, let's let's. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Hey guys, uh, this is from Matt Heron. Hey guys, appreciate the great content and hope you are well. So, very situational question. But let's say by some small miracle, the Rangers and Capitals end up in a playoff series next year and Hank is the starter. How much are you pulling for Hank and how much are you pulling for the Rangers? Cheers. Um, I'll be pulling fully for the Rangers at that point. I'm a Ranger fan. I love Hank, but I want to make the run um, despite Henrik Lundqvist's legacy at this point. 
Yeah, I'm not going to worry about it until it actually happens. I, I, I can't sit here and tell you how I feel until it happens. Yep. Uh, this question is from Dima77. Great New York Rangers podcast for hardcore fans. And, of course, uh, they didn't say this, but baseball fans especially today. Looking forward to a weekly with Lundquist, de facto captain now gone. Stahl traded fast. The players' players signed away from Carolina. There's a major, major leadership void that needs to be filled. Perhaps not an ideal time to pick a captain yet, but the logical choice is Kreider, especially granted the long-term deal. I don't think Panarin has the personality for it, but the A is certainly warranted. Sabinajad could be a sleeper here. Lafreniere is the future captain, but let's see if he lives up to the hype. Same with Keandre Miller. Thoughts? P.S. I tried to list my three youngest, uh, my three young Ranger fans, so they appreciate a reduction in colorful language. Keep up the good work. Uh, I think, uh, I, I, I know we're not big captain guys on this, but I'm, I'm team Kreider all the way. I think that's the way it gets resolved. I think they think he's like the, uh, the old guard and he gets the C next, next season or the season after. Yeah. It's either him or Mika. It's really only... That's the only option. Yeah. Yeah. I, the, the other thing is it, it's the, I think the Fost one, I mean, they're both big leadership voids, but it's not like the New York Rangers put themselves out there enough in terms of showcasing personalities on that team for us to know who the hell the leaders actually are. Yeah, we don't for the know. most part. We just make assumptions based on the limited information that I, we get. And I how think Brian Strom is like a legit leader in that locker room, and they're going to trade him. I don't know <laughs> if he's a legit leader. I just think he's a really nice guy. Right. And people like really nice guys. Yeah, I, like it's part of it. I don't. I don't know what the the line is. It it feels like Mika is a legit leader. It feels like Kreider is a legit leader. Um. It, the Rangers believe Jack Johnson's a legit leader, which is why he's here. Right. I, I don't. I, I honestly don't know. I, I. The Rangers could put the C on Brett Howden, and I would just kind of laugh and not really think about it again. I. It's not like the Rangers don't have a track record of moving on from their captain. So what does the C even mean? They traded Ryan Callahan. They traded Ryan McDonough. They bought out Henrik Lundqvist. They bought out Dan Girardi. They traded Mark Stahl. It is it, to me. It's just a letter. Like just fucking win. I don't care who the captain is. Same. Last question. Frip three thousand. I feel like no one's talking about the twenty twenty one season not even happening due to the pandemic. Can you theorize a bit? If this was the case, what would it mean for our Rangers? Are the contracts written for the seasons or calendar years? Dead cap space gone. Bad signings. Uh, JJ only to expose for the Kraken draft, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. I think the season happens like one way or another. There's too much money on the line. There's too much at stake. I don't think it's getting canceled, but I I, I do think it's signed for contract year rather than actual season plate. I don't think all the all the uh, contracts would float over to the next year, and then magically you would still have that year. Um, they, all the players still get older, so they still get paid. Like that's how it works. Yeah, the CBA would have to work that out. They're gonna play. I they came back in the end of the summer. They're going to find a way to come back at some point. I don't think it's going to be January 1st. It might not be until February. There might be a Super Bowl before there's an opening night in the NHL, which is weird. But they're going to play. It's going to be a weird season. It's going to end in the late, mid-July, right before the Olympics. And that's going to be that. It's basically what it is. They're, they will play. The, at this point, commissioners and leagues, they don't really give a shit. Yeah. About this virus, so they're gonna play. look at the NFL right now, man. They're playing. I promise. They couldn't care less. I they, the, the NFL is just an absolute fucking miracle on how little they care. They it's don't impressive. care. They really don't. They just, they don't give a single fuck. It's kind of impressive. <laughs> you gotta expect kind of it a little bit. Like they don't care. Well, I, I'm just I'm I'm happy. The the NFL was so cocky that none of these games would get canceled or moved that they didn't even do the like, hey, we're gonna add two 
bye weeks at the end of the year to put all our makeup games in case shit they, happens. Yeah, they didn't even care. They like they, they, didn't care. they didn't even come up with emergency plans. That's how much they didn't care. Yeah, and now they're they're quote unquote figuring it out. They're the NFL doesn't care. People are just gonna take from their example. Baseball's letting in fucking fans because they're idiots too. So like, come on. It, they don't care. I was All like, you need to do is take one – take what Ryan, I know you haven't watched college football. Just I turn on do. one college football game on a Saturday that's being played in the South and see how little people give a shit. They're going to play sports. We'll be, they'll, you'll be fine, people. We'll figure it out. Uh, we'll be back next week, or rather later in the week for the BSBOT. You can follow me on Twitter at Ryan Media. You can follow Greg at Blue Shirts Break, and we'll be back later. Love you guys. Bye.